Would you pray with me once more? Father, we do, oh, at this moment, quiet our hearts. I ask your spirit to work in this time. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be truly pleasing in your sight. Father, I pray that my words be your words. I pray that you would expose our hearts to the truth, that you would change us and shape us more into the image of your Son. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, we're, this week we're looking at this idea of being brave. Carl Medeiros in his book, 42 Seconds, as he looked at the conversations that Jesus had, typified a lot of those conversations as very brave, having them in some of the most dangerous places and with some very sketchy people. But we also see this behavior in the uh, lives of his followers, in the lives of his disciples and apostles, as we heard in the text read just a few minutes ago. We see this bravery, this courage in the midst of real threat. We see them speaking of Jesus in spite of their fear. You know, when we think of bravery today, I think a lot of times we get pictures that look like this, at least for me, I think of this movie, Braveheart, right? You can't forget that movie if you've seen it. Or, you know, if you're more of a Disney fan, that bravery, you know, that brave movie, That's the kind of picture we get when we think of bravery. We get this picture of warriors or somebody standing up, this, this larger-than-life individual doing something that is remarkable or fantastic. But I would argue that more often than not, the truly brave are just the ordinary, everyday people of this world. People like a 42-year-old seamstress who in 1955 stepped onto a segregated bus and refused to give up her seat to a white man. Her name was Rosa Parks. It was just this past Saturday, that was 15 years ago, that she passed away. And this coming December will mark 65 years since that night that she stepped on the bus. She was arrested. And that started something today that we call the Civil Rights Movement. They really believe Rosa Parks was the, was the spark And she never set about to start a civil rights movement. She just said she got tired of just giving in. And she decided just to stay seated. In fact, that night started, the night that she was arrested and the night she was charged, started this Montgomery Improvement Association. And they elected this young 26-year-old man to head that association. His name was Martin Luther King. Rosa Parks was the catalyst for that, just an ordinary young woman. That's what we see over and over again, are people doing brave things, ordinary people just like you, doing brave things in our culture today, and one of the bravest things is speaking of Jesus. And while we're not threatened with our life, we do understand and feel the pressure of speaking of Jesus in our neighborhoods and to friends and to people that you know are maybe hostile or anti-Christianity, it can be awkward. It can bring about a lot of fear. But that's what we're called to do. We're called as Christians, in spite of that fear, to go and to speak of Jesus, to speak of Jesus crucified and, and resurrected, and to do that as Jesus. You know, Jesus' message was one of love and peace and acceptance. His message was one of salvation. And we say here, we want to look, live, and love more like Jesus. 
But we need to remember, we're not Jesus. Jesus could see into the hearts of the people that he was speaking with. And when he spoke words, he spoke to their hearts. He spoke to the person. And some of the hardest words he spoke were to the religious leaders, to the civil leaders, those who were oppressing freedom, those who were oppressing those that were under them, they're exercising their authority and not being kind. Those are the people that Jesus spoke his harshest words to in very specific settings and at very specific times. And so we have to learn that we are not Jesus. So we need to be curious, as we talked about last week, and we need to ask questions to understand that the person in front of us is a person. And they deserve our respect and and to share Jesus' message, which is one of acceptance that he does love them. And we need to be careful how we use our words. I love this quote from Medeiros' book, 42 Seconds. This is what he says about bravery. He says, bravery isn't bravery if your ego and need to be right get in the way. If it's about you and you feeling better and you feeling right, then you need to check yourself and, and not go there. We need to check our motive and have a motive of Jesus and see the person standing in front of us. And to do that requires bravery. Oftentimes, some of the bravest people don't say really what's on their heart, but say what Jesus would say. So when we talk about brave, what do we mean? How do we define it? And I would use this definition I found. It's showing no fear or danger of dangerous or difficult things. Read that again. Showing no fear of dangerous or difficult things. Did you see that? It's like, it's not saying that there isn't fear. It's just that you don't show it. You see people that do brave things and you're like, I don't know how they did it. Right? You don't see fear, but that doesn't mean they're not afraid. You know, but they, they do these courageous acts. Another word that's very, you know, synonymous with bravery. I found this definition or this quote I really find fascinating. Franklin Roosevelt says, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's, it's the recognition that there's something more important than my fear. And I would argue this morning that speaking of Jesus is more important than our fear. More important than than that emotion inside of us that keeps us from speaking. Because something more important is here. Rosa Parks put it this way. She said, I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. God did away with all my fear. She admits she was afraid, right? To sit there on that bus in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955 and defy that order took bravery. And she admits she was afraid, but she said it was time for someone to stand up or in my case, sit down. I refused to move. And so this morning I ask you, isn't it about time we stopped not speaking? Isn't it time we started speaking of Jesus? Recognizing our fear, admitting our fear, But it's time because something more important is here. I would say someone more important is here. It's time for us to start speaking up. And that's what we see in this story in Acts. We see these disciples who were once cowards, some would say. The leader who once denied Jesus three times. 
that deserted him at his death is now the one standing up in the middle of the Sanhedrin, this, this courtroom of the Jewish leaders, people who had persecuted, who had murdered his rabbi, who had murdered Jesus, the same people who were persecuting the church and stoning people to death. Probably in this midst, in this Sanhedrin, the, the Saul, the Apostle Paul was there before his conversion. The one who was breathing out murderous threats against the church was standing there. And now these disciples who were once running away are now standing up. And you see in this section in Acts from like chapter 3 to chapter 5, you see these apostles doing these remarkable things. Peter and John teaching at the temple courts and being arrested and then freed and the church rejoicing and then them again and then being brought in and arrested and told not to speak of Jesus. And in the middle of the night, God releases them from prison and sends them back to the temple steps to continue to preach. And this scene happens right after they send the guard down to get them and the guard comes back and says, they're not there, but look over at the temple. There they are again. And so they send and they arrest them again and bring them back before the Sanhedrin and are like, haven't we told you to stop preaching Jesus? To which they stand up and say the most remarkable thing, we must obey God rather than men. Can you imagine the feeling inside? Right? I mean, picture it this way. You're on the steps of a mosque in Tehran, Iran this week. And you step up and you say these words. And you're confronted and asked to stop. Or you're thrown sticks or whatever they do. And you stand there and say, we must obey God rather than men. That's where they were. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What bold words. Can you imagine yourself doing that? I have a hard time. But they did, and you see that all throughout the book of Acts. Story after story of Jesus' followers now emboldened, now proclaiming the name of Jesus in, face of, in facing their own death. And we see throughout the Gospels, that's what they did. And we know from church history that most of them, except John, were all martyred for their faith. They continued to do this after they were beaten, after they were imprisoned. Some were beheaded, some were crucified, and yet they continued so my question this morning is, why? Why were they so brave? And what can we learn this morning to help us have that same courageous attitude when speaking of Jesus? Have you asked that question before? Why? Why were they so brave? Not just accept, oh, well, you know, but why? And I think the answer is in that text I just showed you. I think, I think it's clear. I think it's the same, same thing that we can cling on to today. And here's what he said. Remember what Peter says. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Why do we stand here preaching? Why are they standing there? Because Jesus 
is a lie. They would not be standing in that position if, in fact, Jesus was dead. Think about it. To get up and to profess something they know to be a lie? How many people do that? You might get up and profess something you believe to be true, but to know that it's a lie and get up and do that at risk of your life, how many would do that? But yet they all did this. Why? Because Jesus was alive. Even skeptics of the resurrection account admit that the actions of the apostles and the disciples and the early Christians were because they truly believed they saw Jesus alive. Jesus was alive, and so now they're preaching him raised. Why? Because they were witnesses. They themselves saw him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was raised, he was buried, he was crucified, but then raised to new life, just like the Scripture said he would be. And that he was raised on the third day, just like the Scripture said he would be. And he appeared to Peter, and he appeared to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 people. And he's saying, if you don't take my word for it, go ask them, because a lot of them are still alive today. And this is Paul, who was there when Jesus was crucified, was there probably when Peter was standing before the Sanhedrin. Now Paul has changed. Why? Because he encountered the risen Jesus. He says, last of all, he appeared to me of one abnormally born. They were brave because Jesus was alive and they had seen him. How could you not but speak of him? And so that's what they did. So why were they so brave? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why they were so brave. And you might be saying, well, I'd be brave too if he appeared to me. But see, Jesus has appeared to you. He's appeared to you in the waters of your baptism. He appears to you every week in communion. He appears to you in his word. He appears to you in your prayers. He appears to you in, in, the, in the company of your fellow believers. He speaks with you. Jesus has appeared. And the Holy Spirit has testified, as Peter said, and you believe. But there is evidence. If you will listen to the reasoning and you will listen to the arguments, you will find that the only plausible explanation that is left for an empty tomb is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Not to produce faith, but to strengthen your faith. We look for these answers, and we can defend that faith. And so when we're asked, you really believe what that book says? Why would you believe what that book says? Because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, you can still find their graves today. There's no one in the tomb where Jesus was laid. Jesus is alive. But see, sometimes we don't know what to respond then, and we don't know how to defend our faith. And we, 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 we can't then admit to everybody else around us that I don't know how. I don't know what to say. And I would say, be brave and say, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. 
You know, we look at Thomas when, when he was there in the upper room and they said, we saw Jesus. And he said, unless I put my finger in his hands and in his side, he goes, I'm not going to believe. How brave was that? We used to tell our kids, if you don't know the answer in class, raise your hand and ask a question. That takes bravery. Because now everybody else knows I don't know. Even while they're admitting, or even while they're not admitting, they don't know. And they're so glad you asked the question. And so Thomas asked the question, and a week later, Jesus shows up and says, here I am, Thomas, put your finger here and put your finger here. And Thomas did, and he said, my Lord and my God. And everything changed. Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. That is the central part of our gospel. It's not the whole gospel, but it's the center part of our gospel. Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. Paul put it this way. He said, if Jesus isn't raised, then our preaching is useless. And guess what? So is your faith. So is your faith. If Jesus is still in the tomb, so is your faith. But he said, but Jesus has been raised. In fact, he has been raised. And since he has been raised, we should stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, which is speaking of Jesus, spending time with Jesus, because you know that your labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. When you speak of Jesus, when you share the truth of the gospel that Jesus is alive, and then you get to share why Jesus is alive, that it was for them, that work is not in vain. People come to believe in Jesus through your testimony. Through you sharing your testimony and speaking of Jesus, people come to faith. And it's not in vain. The kingdom comes now in their life now, and they experience Jesus now and forever. Your work is not in vain. I would argue it's the most important work you will ever do in your entire life. It's to share the good news of Jesus, because it's not in vain, and it has eternal consequences. And so we share that good news. Why? Why is it they recorded all of this? In, in this book. Why is it they tell us this? Well, John says at the end of his gospel, we tell you these things. In fact, Jesus did a lot more things than we could write down in these books, but he, we're going to tell you these things so that by believing in them, that you would have faith, that you would believe our testimony, those who saw him living, those who walked with him, those who saw him killed, and those who saw him alive. We want you to come to believe, and in believing, you would have eternal life. But I think there's another why all this is right here. It's so that you could be encouraged. So that you could have a great cloud of witnesses to show you what happens when you just step out and trust in Jesus. If you want to experience Jesus, if you want him to show himself to you, take a step. And he will show up. And you will experience him. And he will reveal himself to you. And you might be scared to death. And maybe the very first step for you is by admitting that you don't know. I'm, I'm not so sure I buy into this whole resurrection thing. I'm not so sure I buy into the whole empty tomb thing. 
The argument on the other side seems pretty persuasive. Be brave. Be brave. And seek him out. Hold him to his promise. Seek him and you will find him when you seek him with your whole heart. See if he doesn't show himself to you. Admit to one another in your small groups this week. Yeah, I'm struggling. I'm, 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 I'm afraid of saying this. I got this person on this card and I want to talk to him, but oh my goodness. Be brave. Be brave and see if Jesus doesn't show up. I pray that for each of you, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and glory and praise because you always show up. At just the right time, you sent your Son into the world to pay the price for my sins, to pay the price for my disobedience. Father, we are truly surrounded then and now by a great cloud of witnesses, people overseas who are sharing Jesus in the face of persecution. And as Hebrews tells us, we are to keep our eyes focused on these cloud of witnesses, but that the author and perfecter of our faith is Jesus. He is our true hero. And it's in his name that we come to you this morning. And having our hearts exposed by your word, Father, we confess to you that we are afraid. But we know that you are with us. So, Father, this morning I pray for courage. I pray your spirit move in this room right now. I pray your spirit, I pray your spirit move us to action, trusting in you. Father, we know that you have forgiven us. We know that Jesus is alive. Father, we come to you this morning with the hope and the expectation that people would come to see you as we speak of you more. May we continue to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus and those who do not know you. Amen.